0: Welcome to the Draft Deeper podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black. Now, as we inch closer to the draft, there are plenty of projections out there regarding mock drafts. You're hearing more about combine type measurements and results where a player might or might not want to go, you know, a, a lot of that. There will be a ton of conversation um, about some of that next week when I do a full GM style mock draft on the pod with a special guest that I'll announce before we record um on that pod I want to go through and make picks for each team as if I was the GM in charge and I was locked into that pick evaluating my team needs and potentially cap space and see what I would what move I would actually want to make no trade projections I want that pod to be a true mock because even having those discussions about who would be beneficial to what situation could give us clues as to which directions teams might even trade in uh coming to coming to the draft night so I'm excited for that one and today is also special because we are going to wrap up with the last 10 prospects on the 2020 draft deeper top 60 big board Um, for future drafts. This will obviously go deeper, but for our first class, I want to keep it at 60. So I made sure we had enough time before the draft to go through a lot of these guys one by one on the pod and give them their time to shine and evaluate them honestly. So before we dive into those last 10, I wanted to give everyone my updated final top 30, and then I will have a top 60 ranked Uh, up next week, hopefully by the Mock Draft Pod. I haven't ranked the second round grades formally in order. I'll have those up on our Facebook page first. If you haven't liked us on Facebook, be sure to. Um, Twitter naturally will follow. So let me go through just a, a little bit here with my updated top 30. The top five in the order has not changed from the last time I gave everyone an update. Cole Anthony is number one, followed by James Wiseman, Denny Avdia, LaMelo Ball, and Anthony Edwards. That much has stayed the same. Um, Onyeka Kongu, Killian Hayes, R.J. Hampton, Tyrese Halliburton—they've also stayed right there at that six to nine range. Um, I flipped Isaac Okoro and Devin Vassell. Um, a lot has been overblown about Vassell's jump shot from from what came out on that social media video. Um, everyone pointed to, oh, he is arching his release back to a point that he did it in college. I mean, technically, he still had that ball pretty far back over his head. Um, I think some of those clips were exaggerated, so I'm not worried about that right now. I'm not going to let one clip change my evaluation on him completely, but I've moved the quarrel into the top 10 simply because I just think at the end of the day, versatility at that 3-4, 4-3 spot, what he can do defensively, and then the upside he might bring as a pull-up jump shooter. Um, I've kind of talked myself into having him firmly as a top 10 prospect also because I think he's going to go in the top 10. Um and I, I have a home for him in mind that I'll definitely share on the pod next week when I do my mock. Um if everything plays out the way I think it will. So I flipped those two, um, Obi Toppin, Jaden McDaniels, and Precious Achua. Um, those, those three still round out my my top fourteen, my lottery grades. Uh, moving past that though, I have I have made some adjustments. I've moved uh, Tyrell Terry into the top 20 firmly. I have him at 18 now, and I've also moved Desmond Bain one spot ahead of him to 17. Now, why have I made these moves? So Bain, I'll start there. He's really impressed me um, through the pre-draft process, just getting to hear a lot more interviews and and see some more workouts with where he's at and kind of what he's thinking about heading into the, the draft through this draft process. Um, I just think his his versatility, his maturity, being a four-year starter, and, and not really having any glaring holes to his game. Um, you, you see on social media, you see um, some scouts and some evaluators sharing their thoughts about different angles to his game when, when we evaluated him. I, I've had him pigeonholed more as like a, a spot-up shooter who can certainly make some decisions on the move. He He's a smart, intelligent player. And then obviously he brings physicality, Um, on the boards at his position as well as defensively. But I've seen more about his passing that I've become a lot more impressed with. And that that Desmond Bain, Malcolm Brogdon comparison, I I can't get it out of my head since I've truly sat down and thought about it more. So I'm going to put him at 17. And I think at at this point, from from what I've heard, from what I've seen, I think he's pretty much a lock to go top 20 at this point. Um, Tyrell Terry... Those measurements do change things just in terms of the height, not as much about the muscle. Um, I, I was listening to Chad Ford's podcast the other week. Um, they, were, they were kind of talking about how the, the muscle doesn't necessarily mean a ton. Some guys can even gain too much muscle too fast, but the height, that, that's something you can't naturally change during your career. And if Tyrell Terry is measuring at 6'3", that, that changes the evaluation, right? That makes things a lot easier from the point guard spot for, for him to do in terms of being able to shoot over more people in the defense, uh, making his life easier. There, being able to see some more passing lanes and operate better as a playmaker. And I, I believe all of the measurements that have come out. I have a very close family friend who works um, with the beyond agency. I, I trust them. They are good, honest people over there. So I, I trust those measurements. I think they are legit. And there's no reason not to have him as a top 20 pick at that point. I mean, the upside is clear between his jump shot, his pick and roll playmaking ability. There's no reason not to have him there. Um, kind of moving down past that, I've moved Sadiq Bey out of that top 20 naturally. Somebody really had to slide. Aaron Neesmith I had moved to 20, but Sadiq Bey fell out of the top 20. I have him at 23 right now. Um, j- j- just haven't seen anything really, to, to be honest with you. I, I haven't seen anything regarding... Um, how much work he's put in in this offseason here. I think the evaluation kind of has to stay the same and going back and even watching some more film I'm just not confident that he's really going to contribute offensively right away in the NBA. And I think a team might have to wait on him a little bit to definitely um, get that three point jumper in line. So if you're relying on him to be a mid range scoring creator, I think there's going to be a little bit of disappointment that he's not going to be able to do that at a high enough rate coming into the league from day one. So I I've moved him down the board a little bit, especially with him also not just being a freshman. He is a a, a little older um, for, for ultimately what you're going to want to see him do coming out from day one. Um, Other than that, the boards pretty much stay the same, but I just wanted to kind of give an update as to where my thoughts were on some of those guys. And again, I'll be putting the full board out on social media. So definitely look out for that. So With that said, let's move into these last 10 guys I wanted to include in the top 60 rankings. Um, Starting this week with Grant Riller, guard out of Charleston. Listed at 6'3", my eye test tells me 6'1 and 3 quarters on film, but we'll go with the list height for now. Uh, Combo guard, not a true point. Known more at this point for his scoring craft and ability to get buckets in the mid-range. And he's better extended his shot out to 3 over the length of his college career. Um, senior year, as a more developed guard than a lot of others, but still nonetheless, shot 50% from the field. His three-point percentage clocked in around 36%, and his 83% mark from the free throw line speaks to his consistency and the fact that he's put in a lot of work to clear up his shooting mechanics to at least be presentable from range. Um, I don't love his shot from deep. I think he turns his body a little too much in the air, which can throw him off balance and lead to his misses more than anything. Um, his release point is pretty much the same from a mid-range pull-up to the line, out to three. So, these consistencies are, are more than the, those consistencies are more than some players have, right? But he needs to watch how he gets himself into a shot off the catch with his lower body mechanics to clean some of that up. Um, in today's NBA, it's important to have a deep ball, but that's not why you're drafting Riller. If you're drafting Riller, you're buying what he can do inside the arc from a scoring perspective and continuing to buy into his play, pick and roll playmaking ability, which he's proven he can find a role man in time and make a heady dump off pass um, should he draw all the defense's attention. But even when he doesn't give the ball up, he's one of the toughest scorers in the draft around the basket at the guard spot. I talked about Maxie when I did his evaluation about how he's built to withstand contact and he's not afraid to to drive to the basket. Obviously, someone like Anthony Edwards is physically built to withstand contact on drives and, and comparing him to those two, Riller isn't as much of a tank, but he's big enough to handle punishment and he isn't afraid of it. The angles in which he's able to contort his body and finish layups are impressive And then he has a stop and pull-up game as well. What concerns me is that if the three-point shot isn't consistent, his calling card is basically as a tough shot maker. He likely won't be asked to make many decisions with the ball in his hands from a playmaking perspective. He'll have the job off the bench to score. Do you trust him to make some of those tough shots he lived off of in college against NBA defenses and individual defenders? I personally don't think he has enough wiggle and athletic burst to convert as many of those looks at the next level. And he's a below the rim player. He's not explosive vertically by any means. So, I mean, there are fans of his in the draft community. Jonathan Wasserman over at Bleacher Report is a huge fan and has, he's had him projected as the first rounder all year long. I just don't see it. I don't think he'll be able to do, to be the same productive scorer as he was in college. Now, if he's able to be more of a threat from deep and draw defenders out on the perimeter, I mean, he has enough of a first step to get by guys, and he isn't bothered by someone on his hip if he gets the step, and defenders guarding him in man situations will likely be other guards, so that's where he has that advantage, but if defenders can sag off of him and play him like the the inside-the-arc scorer, he's been pretty much his entire career, I think he's going to have some issues, and that's why I have him as a second-round grade. So next, I want to touch on Yudoka Azubuki out of Kansas, since he's gained a lot of buzz with some of his combine numbers in terms of his vertical testing. I get the appeal to him. He's a mountain of a man at the center position, makes life tough on either end for anyone trying to guard him or go up against him. He has touch inside. His footwork's solid on post-up looks. He he, he, you know, he, he obviously has a few things he can go to down low in terms of hooks. He's He's craftier with an up and under than you might initially give him credit for. Obviously, he's going to have an offensive rebounding advantage because of his size at 6'11", 7' and his wingspan, but I have to be honest. Whenever I watch him, I'm not impressed. At his size going up against some of the competition in college, the dominance just doesn't jump off the tape for me. Maybe it's because he's not as mobile as I would like a modern center to be. Maybe it's because he's not a jump shooter and probably won't be a reliable one in his career. A lot of people are coming back to him and saying, well, if he can be a bucket off the bench, provide support, drawing some fouls, getting some timely rebounds, that's a player. Yeah, that's a prospect, but I'm not sure it's one that I really want to draft. I'm I'm going to give him a second round grade because I think out of backups that could be available, who could step in and start on occasion, I, I wouldn't be terrified of the results. I believe in him to that extent. He's a professional. He played at a good program in big games. I'm confident in the experience he's gotten. But injury concerns that he had through his entire time in college, coupled with the fact that he's an archetype of player that's, for lack of a better word, old at this point, I'm not anxious to spend a draft pick on him if I could get him on an undrafted contract. But he did enough in college that it would be harsh for me to, to not give him support in the second round. So next is one of my favorite big man prospects who slipped off the radar because he signed a pro deal to play overseas in Serbia, and that's Filip Petrushev. Now, obviously, that complicates drafting him and bringing him into the league right away. So from a logistical standpoint, I understand seeing him slip in the draft, and that also leads me to, to giving him a second-round mark because uncertainty and playing status matters. The money makes it all matter. Um, but if I were grading all these players on pure talent, it's a closer call than you'd think between a first- and second-round grade. 6'11", mobile center prospect who's a disciplined defender, knows how to use his length inside, solid rebounder on both ends, can score around the basket in a variety of ways. But similar to Azubuki, I'm not fully sold on his touch away from the basket. In larger volume last season where he was given more of a featured role, his shooting percentages all took a nosedive. And given sample sizes, I'm inclined to believe his numbers in his second more featured campaign than the time he spent on the floor his freshman year. The free throw shooting is the big one for me, dropping to around 66% from the line. I've seen worse from big men, but that dip in efficiency isn't encouraging, projecting him out shooting the basketball. What I will say about Petrushev is that he did play against good teams, particularly in Gonzaga's early schedule run in non-conference tournament play, and have some dominant performances overwhelmingly uh, carrying that team. So playing in a respected program and dominating matters to a degree, the question is how much of that high-level play can actually carry over into a league that's not nearly as focused on post-up play and is swung to spreading the floor and operating out of role actions. But undervaluing someone with his size, footwork combination, and touch around the basket, and even on floaters, is unwise. So I'm going to definitely have him as a second-round grade and someone worth drafting and keeping an eye on as he continues to develop now overseas. And speaking of Zag's big man, Killian Tilly deserves a second-round grade despite all the injury concerns. Skill-wise, there's little to not like about his game. Face up big, who has canned shots from the line and from three throughout his college career pretty consistently when he's been healthy, reliable outside shooter, mid-range passer, underrated footwork around the basket, and no one mentions his passing working with another big man high-low, but that's another part of his game that's a selling point offensively in the NBA. If he's mobile enough, as I believe he is, to close out and cover on the perimeter at times, you can play him with another big offensively and run a lot of different sets with him. The questions are just how mobile is he defensively, and can he even stay healthy to earn time on the floor? If he can check both of those boxes, he actually can be a starter in the NBA and carve out a path similar in a lot of ways to Sabonis in terms of being a big-time talent um, from a scoring perspective. Obviously, he's not the same level rebounder, but his passing isn't as far away as you think, as I mentioned, and he can score in a variety of ways. So I think Tilly is an incredibly undervalued prospect at this point, and I'm rooting for him to get right physically so he can have a productive NBA career because he's sure good enough to. So next on the list is Emmanuel Quickly, someone who I've heard around draft circles as a prospect a lot of people would like to give a first-round grade to because of his shooting ability. And on that thought alone, they're not wrong. Two years, almost 40% from three, nearly 90% from the line, average, averages from two years at Kentucky. Then you look at the attempts, essentially five attempts apiece per game. So major program, decent role, enough of a sample size. The kid, can, the kid can shoot. There's no disputing it at this point. His mechanics, elevation on a shot, consistency, able to do it out of multiple sets, on the ball, off the ball. He reminds me a ton in terms of his shooting ability of Malik Monk. Now, Monk was a much more valued draft pick because people thought he could develop into more of a go-to option in the league and further enhance any passing ability to show glimpses of a Kentucky. That just hasn't happened for quickly um, as well, but certainly not for Monk either. He wasn't worth a lottery pick uh, at this point in his career, although he's still very young. And I think that's why people have soured on quickly because of that comparison and have to come back around to appreciate what he can actually do with the basketball. Yes, he's a small two guard, so he's not a true combo. Yes, there are defensive liabilities. But if you're drafting in the second round, looking for guards who could compete off the bench bring surefire skills to the NBA and are mature and and come from a good program. I mean, quickly check so many boxes um, that at that point you can't let what he can't do limit any kind of value he could have for an NBA team in the long term. He has enough of a game to stick around in the league for a long time. I have questions about his use um, outside of jump shooting and competing defensively. But at this point in this class, you have to take guys who have noteworthy skills, you know, will translate coming in. I refuse to not give quickly a second-round grade, and it wouldn't shock me if he was an early second-round pick, given the premium put on shooting in the NBA today. Now, Jordan O'Ora is someone I really liked at the start of the year for Louisville, and it was hard to not see what kind of mismatch problems he might be able to present on an NBA floor during the early part of the college schedule. 6'7", 225-pound forward prospect that appeared like he could be an intriguing 4-3 offensively that could step out and knock down jumpers or take bigger guys off the dribble and find his way inside. At least at the college level, scoring wasn't the issue. He knew how to put points up in bunches one way or the other, inside or out, even from the free throw line where he's efficient at over uh, 80% last year. The problems with Nora pile up uh, the more you watch him, the deeper you go. How quick is he laterally? Can he move with and contain guys in the perimeter if you play him at the 3 does he rely too much on just being bigger than a lot of other wings to do well outside defensively? That certainly wouldn't be the case in the NBA as the game naturally gets bigger at the three through five spots over time because more players are more skilled at those six seven to 6'11 sizes. Nor loses those advantages defensively that he had in college. Stick him at the four, and he's potentially getting outclassed physically down low if you're asking him to rebound at a high rate from that spot. Yes, he was able to rebound effectively in college by the numbers, but go back and look at his technique versus where he actually secured a lot of those rebounds and also how many minutes he was playing to get to those numbers. There were a number of high-profile games he was playing nearly the entire time. So having enough opportunities and being physically imposing at the college level, yes, there's a good chance he's going to put up counting numbers, and he did. But I don't buy his physical advantage as being significant in the NBA and further examining his offensive fit. I grow worrisome as well. Shot selection proved to be a glaring issue at times in college, as he'd settle for some of those ugly step-back jumpers and relied too much on his perimeter skill when he should have backed down a smaller player and found a better way to get a bucket inside or get to the line. A versatile scoring forward is what he's billed as coming into the league, but in reality, he's at his best on a drive or a standstill shot. He's not the level shot creator I want him to be. I look at his film, and he's not as polished as I was led to believe. So the more I evaluated him the less infatuated I became about his draft stock. There's enough of a positive sample size to draft him for sure, but I have a second round grade on him at this point. I hope he proves me wrong because when he's on and it looks good, he's a fun player to watch. In the same realm of a forward prospect, Paul Ebois, to me, is the mystery man of this draft class. Cameroonian forward prospect, six seven, six eight in that realm size-wise, really one of the more impressive physical talents in the entire class. Bouncy, strong, bodies chiseled, good feet, good hands. Physically, I really don't have any concerns with how he could translate to the NBA. To me, he has all the tools at his position to succeed. He won't be dominated by anyone in his position in the league. He honestly just fits right in. It's a skill set that, uh, that that remains somewhat of a mystery to teams in terms of what he'll be capable of doing from day one. By now, we've all seen the Mike Schmidt's workout tape and interview with Ebois and have probably come away impressed with the drills he did at a high level. Footwork drills on the interior, run into spots to catch and shoot from three, his mechanics sound, great balance on his standstill jumper, shoots right away with confidence, moves incredibly well, and he's obviously a dunk threat when he's driving to the basket. All that looks great in a one-on-one workout session, but how much of that will actually translate in an NBA game? I have questions about how the jumper... Um, we'll be able to hit it a certain clip. How impressive is his basketball IQ to take advantage of his body and cut at the right times, moving off the ball for easy jumpers or looks at the rim. He's not someone you'll see with the ball in his hands, playmaking off the dribble anytime soon. So being able to contribute off the ball while playing with that high energy defensively will be key in his development. Cause as I've said a million times now, the only way to get better at playing NBA basketball is to actually play it against real opponents. He's a G league stash to start his career it will be interesting to see how quickly he can earn the trust of his organization to rise out from the G League spot and onto an NBA roster to start potentially earning minutes. Pascal Siakam is one of those stories from the G League um, in terms of how quickly he progressed and how steadily he's continued to prove at an all-star level. Obviously he's a one-of-one in terms of those aspects but Ebois leaves you with some of those flashes when you actually watch him play basketball. That's why he's the class's greatest mystery and someone to monitor heavily as a second-round pick. I'm certainly intrigued that if I were scouting for a team and working in a front office, I'd love to talk to Ebois personally to learn more about him face-to-face because he could be that second-round steal that breaks out in a big way who no one saw coming other than the people paying attention to the details. Now, I'd be remiss to not push Washington State's um, CJ Ellaby on this list of second-rounders to still watch out for who have earned a grade here. 6'6 wing, can do a little bit of everything on the floor, and still found enough ways to put the ball in the basket in his college career. I can't point to one skill that's surefire going to succeed in the NBA, which is why I have him graded out as I do, but what he's capable of doing and contributing in moments potentially off an NBA bench is enticing enough for him to be drafted. Comfortable scoring on and off the ball, shoots it well enough from the outside where defenses have to respect him, and makes some smart plays for others off the bounce if he runs into some trouble. Is he a perfect ball handler or playmaker? No, but he doesn't have to be. Even though he averaged around two assists to two turnovers per game, I really don't think he made egregious mistakes on the floor. I think for the most part, he makes sound plays in the court, mature approach to the offense. He isn't reckless. So I, I like that he could come into a team's rotation and play to a certain game plan and just be trusted to execute without having to worry about him committing silly turnovers or playing out of character, taking dumb shots. Trust me, to coaches, that matters. Defensively, there really isn't a ton to write home about, but I wouldn't label him a plus defender, likely slightly below average if I had to grade him out properly. But he competes, he has a good attitude on both ends, keeps his head high, and plays hard. That's enough to get the right eyes on you come draft day, and I think he gets taken by a team looking for some extra firepower on the end of their bench. Almost rounding out the list here is Najee Marshall, wing prospect out of Xavier, who actually brings more to the table than people might realize. Across the board, he actually put up decent metrics on both ends of the floor, except for his three-point shooting. Let's get this out of the way. He may never be a league average three-point shooter in the NBA, should he hold a roster spot. But other than that, he's able to make plays for others off the bounce, very efficient score for his size around the basket, athletic enough to guard multiple positions, playmaker in passing lanes on defense. There's a lot to like about his game to the point where he's become undervalued in the second round. Now, there have been clips floating around of him working on and improving his jump shot, I mean, sure, if he's put in the work and can hit at a league average mark, then he's potentially deserving of a high second, uh, late first round grade. But I don't buy the improvements quite yet from what I've seen. And I think for the most part, he's a scrappy wing at the end of a rotation uh, who can come in and provide a little scoring punch if he plays a game, make the guys around him better and play enough defense to at least not let leads balloon while the starters are off the floor. He's an experienced player who comes in trustworthy of a role, His upside is just limited in cap because of his shooting stroke. But if I'm looking in the second round to make a pick for someone who might be able to contribute some minutes right away in at least some capacity, I mean, he's on the list deservingly so. And last but not least, Trent Forrest, yet another prospect out of Florida State, someone I really haven't seen any conversation um, around, but he's getting talked about here. Four-year man, honestly in the same boat as Marshall another guard wing with experience who can do a variety of things on the court other than shoot. I think he's a little more limited from a playmaking perspective than Marshall. So I wouldn't put him ahead of Najee. I'm giving Najee the, the the lead there. But if I gave Marshall a second round grade, I should give Forrest one as well because he had his moments during his Florida state run playing alongside NBA caliber talent against NBA caliber talent and making some timely winning plays and meaningful action in a major conference. So I can't discount him as a second round target but the evaluation is pretty much the same as Marshall in my eyes. So if you like Najee, you'll probably look at Trent as well, but I'd have Marshall first between the two, then Forrest. So that pretty much wraps up the top 60. I've done evaluations, talked about a lot of guys on this podcast. If you've missed any episodes, absolutely go back through the feed. Um, I've covered one through 60 in in decent depth for um, doing one by one evaluations on a podcast. So, Naturally, this upcoming season, we're going to have the website launched. I'm going to have much more in-depth profiles um, on every player that I'm ranking in, in terms of big boards. I'm going to have multiple different kinds of big boards up. So there's a lot more coming for, for this draft class. Naturally, the, the operation of Draft Deeper didn't start at the beginning of last season. So um, having to play catch up just a tad made me rank 60 guys and i've had to put that out in podcast form but hopefully you've enjoyed listening to me ramble on and on and on and on about a lot of these guys Um, i've tried to make doing some of these solo pods as entertaining as possible i've had some conversation oriented pods but now we're 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 almost at draft time it's going to get a lot more interesting between some of the pods i have in the pipeline up next um certainly kevin and i are going to be doing live streams over on Twitch. Um, absolutely draft night. We're still going to do a draft show. I'll be sure to get those details out as we move closer to that night. As I've said before, on previous pods, Um, be sure to stay connected on Facebook, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Trust me, there's plenty of content that's going to be coming down the pipeline. This draft was supposed to be an introduction to what we're hopefully going to bring to the table from a scouting perspective, but it's it's trust me there's a lot more coming so stay tuned i thank everyone who's been listening to the podcast who listened to today's episode stay tuned next week that mock draft pod is going to be a lot of fun i can't wait for that one hope everyone has a wonderful rest of the week